right, everyone, welcome back to the show. This week, we are taking a deep dive into the Interverse. We have Chance Garden over at the Interverse podcast. Maybe it's Gartone, I'm not really sure. I hope I said that right. I really don't think he's gonna mind. We go into a lot of things in this one. We are talking about his shows, Vibrant and The Marvelous Demystifiers, which I particularly love, where they break down Marvel movies and all the encoding that's within them. And we dive in a little bit into Stranger Things. We go into the OA and everything, everywhere, all at once. We really just try to cover a lot of different topics here and try to break things down for people to conceptualize them in better ways. I learned a lot from this one. I really hope you guys do. I really hope you check out the links in the description to the Interverse podcast and everything Chance has going on there, as well as ways to support this podcast. Please go check those out. But without any further ado, let's get into the Interverse. All right, everyone, welcome back to Dig Within. Today, I have the host of the Interverse podcast, which is the home of some amazing shows such as Vibrant and the Marvelous Demystifiers. Welcome to the show, Chance Garden. How are you doing, man? Hey, man, I'm doing awesome. Really fun oh. way to kick off a morning. And uh, I love that you mentioned the other shows that I've been doing besides Interverse itself, because that's where the fun is at. Those, uh, <laughs> those are great explorations. Oh man, your your marvelous Demystifiers one has been some of the most insane things I've been listening to recently, especially with breaking down movies and stuff. Because a bit of my background is in film and, and television and stuff like that. And when you guys break some of those things down, man, it's insane. Sometimes, is it gay? It's like dissident. Like sometimes, man, he is. Some of the things he says, I don't follow, but I'm like, man, this guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, his symbolic literacy isn't the same as other human beings. It's like he's tapped into some kind of linguistic vibrational sensitivity or something. And, you know, I, I like his approach. Maybe sometimes it feels like he's stretching and maybe some of the things are a stretch, but I look at the universe as like everything is connected to everything. So whenever you feel or sense a connection, it's worth exploring it, even if it, it doesn't go anywhere. Just see how everything touches everything else and you'll get a more accurate look at the big picture. Yeah. And there's so many things that I just haven't dove into myself. Right. So it's, it's not, not necessarily that I don't think it kind of matters. It's more like he, he has this understanding. It's like Marty leads, right. When he dives into some of those things, I kind of look at some of his stuff and I'm like, man, this is very uh, intense. I just don't have a, I don't have like a, a file for it in my brain. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> well, do you want to dive into maybe what, what, uh, what is vibrant and then what is the marvelous Demisifiers? What's your show and how, how do people kind of wrap their head around what you got going on there? Yeah, so I, I'm doing a lot of content lately since I was able to go full time in this line of work and not need to work for other people. I'm so glad that I put in the effort to get to that point. And for years, I've been doing Interverse, which is an interview style podcast, not unlike this. But last year, I decided to kick off a live show that I do on Wednesday nights, and I've been doing that every week, and that's called Vibrant. And that's more of like a fun community jam we have a special guest for each episode typically, but we take callers from the, uh, the audience and they field questions for us and we, <laughs> we have more fun. It's like levity and deep, deep gravy in the mysticism and syncretism. So Vibrant is super fun. You can catch that on Wednesday nights, every Wednesday at 8 PM central. Uh, and you know, if you do check it out live, get in there, get in the mix, participate. We have an awesome telegram channel for interverse and a separate one for vibrant where people can do like call-ins. We take voicemails from the audience and I love that. 
then the marvelous demystifier show as you might gather from the title there we're breaking down movies but specifically marvel comics disney marvel now that disney owns it looking at the uh, programming and social engineering and the symbolism in that stuff that is so popular and widely consumed by our culture and the way i see it is like it's extremely valuable first of all it's fun it's a different way to explore symbolism than just like listing off a bunch of correlations or re repeating stories of mythology. We're still, we're still looking at the archetypes of reality through the lens of these films, but it's fun because I've been a Marvel comics nerd for oddly enough, my adult life. I started reading comic books in like my early twenties, which I guess makes sense. Cause at that point I had, a job and had disposable income to spend way too much money on comics back then. <laughs> I got better though. <laughs> I don't do that anymore. But uh, what, what I feel is important about it in terms of why it's helpful is whenever you explore social engineering, whenever you look at mind control programming, everything that sorcery or the dark occult is up to is only effective if it can operate on the same principles that reality operates on, but through an inversion of it in some way. So when you reverse engineer and you take apart the, uh, the lie and you look at it more deeply, it actually takes you to the truth, right? If you reverse engineer mind control, you find uh, freedom instead. It's like you reverse engineer inversion and you're putting it back in its proper order. It's kind of how I look at it. Right. Yeah. It's kind of, it's interesting when you start realizing that there's so many encodes and all these things and you go, man, I don't even want to, I don't even want to go near this stuff anymore. I don't know. I don't want to, you know, put that into my system to a certain extent, but then when you guys are able to do those sort of things and you can see what the programming is, you can kind of, you know, in, I don't even know if enjoy is the right word or whatever, but it's, it's more like, you know, you got to just kind of unwind every once in a while, but to, to be totally unaware of what the programming is, is one thing, but then when you can watch it, kind of enjoy it, but also see what they're trying to put in there. It's interesting. And it's so cool to sort of break down some of the encodes. You're like, ah, I know what they're going for right there. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah. And you know, to a degree, there's elements of it that aren't horrible, evil, <laughs> tragically bad. Like when it comes to projects that big and so many people involved, you have to assume that not everyone that works for Disney or Marvel or any film studio is some kind of like closet satanic cultist, right? It's a huge team of artists and creators that maybe they're not hip to the stuff that we talk about in these circles, but they're working with their imagination and they're doing their best to create something that is like fun for them to make. So in that process, imagination, which is the portal to spirit, into the Akashic record, into higher levels of knowledge and understanding, it will put information, information will come through the creation. Like anybody that's ever been a painter or done some kind of visual graphic art or made music enough has had the experience where somebody looked at what you made and they interpreted something out of it that was really resonant and meaningful to them that you had no idea was in there, right? That spirit coming through the imagination portal and putting through like all kinds of Easter eggs of truth. <laughs> so I see that happening in these shows too, where, you know, some of the symbolism, especially some of the things that relate to the big, the big problems in the world, the big, like I, I personally am super 
interested in the uh, birth sorcery mechanics and how that relates to the legal system and the straw man. And it seems to be like maybe the the grounds for all the other trauma and MK Ultra programming that goes on the initial birth trauma. Uh, I find it all the time in people when I'm doing tunings with tuning forks for them. So yeah, that, that stuff comes through, even if it wasn't intended to be put in there. And so because it's something that people can do for fun, which is watch these shows and we're arming them with more symbolic literacy with which to watch it, we're helping them, hopefully helping them be more critical about everything they're taking in. Well, symbolic literacy, I believe this, I believe I picked up this, uh, phrase from the great Michael Tessarion, awesome dude. Symbolic literacy is psychic self-defense. So that's the key. It's not like, it's not a sin <laughs> to enjoy. In my opinion, it's not a sin to enjoy uh, something that came from somewhere as evil as Disney or something. You know, maybe you don't want to pay them money. Maybe you should find a way to pirate it or something. That's on you. It's up to you. But at the end of the day, like a lot of people created it. Creativity and imagination was involved. So it it's a mixed bag. There's light and dark there. And we can dispel the dark with knowledge of truth. So that's how I see it. Yeah, I think one of your recent vibrants, you had Gardner um, and a couple other guys on there. And it was awesome. You guys were talking about uh, a show that I saw a while ago, but I never really dove into it back in the day, but it was the OA. And then they were talking about the the new everything, everywhere, all at once. And it's just, it's interesting, like you said, once you can kind of see these things and you can decode what they're trying to put in there, because you also have to think about if these people have more of this occult knowledge, then some of the things that they're trying to do there is pull you off your path, but then also sort of reveal the path that you kind of should be on so that they can get kind of like the straw man stuff and they hint at all these things that are going on in the world over the past two years with the, the jabs and stuff is like, they put the answer in there and they put the offer in there so that you have to take it. So it's almost like, you know, they are doing certain things with what they want to with Disney and Marvel and all that kind of stuff. But there also is the good kind of hidden in there. And you have to just weed through that to see what they're actually trying to push you towards. If that makes any sense. Yeah, there's a word I'm going to probably butcher this, but a German word for psychological warfare, Weltanschauungskrieg, something like that. It means not specifically just psychological warfare, but the war of worldviews worldview warfare. And in my opinion, that's actually the main form of psychological warfare that there is. Worldview poisoning is poisoning of yourself and your view of who you are. Uh, to elaborate on that, so I think that's what's going on in movies and film and things like the programming that we see. I mean, they call it programming. It's to create a worldview of boogeyman and fear that you know, you could just, it's so crazy. They, they want to take away your guns, right? The, the Pepsi lefties want to take away your guns. But at the same time, they're the ones running Hollywood and putting massive violence and gunplay in everything they make. It's like, what, what, make up your mind here. But worldview warfare, I think maybe I should like back up and really lay this out in an overview. So we exist as an expression of this universal medium that people call ether. You could also just call it spirit or the Akashic record. It's the aspect of the universe that is the, the one all pervasive, not really thing. It's beyond the concept of nouns or thing, thingness, but 
It's the isness that everything else expresses out of. Ether in its different vibratory patterns give us the forms and energies of matter that we experience in our life. But for ether to be what it is, which is the all pervasive medium that everything else comes from, that means that by its nature, it has to be existent beyond the concept of division, beyond the ability to be like, there's some here and some there, and there's a barrier between it. If that makes sense, if you could divide the ether the way that you could cut something in half and have space between it that was empty, then it wouldn't be what it is, which is the all that is everywhere, everything everywhere all at once. <laughs> it wouldn't work. So that being said, the ether that fills your body vessel cannot be divided or different than the ether that makes up the entire whole of the cosmos. Whenever they say the universe is inside you, it's completely accurate. If ether works the way that observationally it appears to work through the science, the real science that has been done to explore it and not dismiss it conceptually the way that, you know, modern materialism has done, then that means as well that it could only work that way if it was indivisible and one and omnipresent. So the ether inside you is the ether of the entire cosmos, which means if you have a worldview of the cosmos that is darkened and limited and scary, that means that you're actually creating those conditions inside of yourself and vice versa. The, the magic of it is that statement, heal yourself and you heal the world. It couldn't be more literally true. <laughs> and it's not like, like if you could love yourself uh, just a bit more, it isn't like a drop in the bucket in a vast infinite sea of meaninglessness that your contribution barely made a dent. It's like, if you loved yourself 10% more, there's 10% more love in the entire cosmos. And that's a big secret. But that being said, it's also a huge consent based reality. So if you're poisoning people's worldview with the fear of murder and death and war, and th things that could just get you from around the corner, you know, scary germs that you can't see, then now you're jacked. <laughs> That's something people don't realize is that by being fearful of those things, even on a subconscious level, is a form of consent to it. And this might sound like the most far out thing ever to some people, but I really don't think that human beings can be murdered or killed or infected or things like that without some level of consent. It's somewhere along the line. So, uh, you know, people that research conspiracy often will fall into paranoid levels of, of life where they're like, there's people watching me. You get the whole targeted individual phenomenon that people talk about. I don't even think that that's necessarily not happening to them, but I do think that there could be some aspect of their programming their universe through their fear of the watcher. And that tends to be a fear of uh, coming to a higher level of consciousness about yourself and what you're doing to yourself, right? Because ultimately there's always a watcher and that's you. You see everything that you're doing. And if you reject that observer status and you're instead putting it on the external and, um, you know, they're going to see what I did, <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble, whatever the case may be. Well, you're, you're not paying attention as much to like, well, how is my mindset, how is my stress level, how is my behavior affecting my health? Ultimately, it always comes back down to health. 
health is the most important aspect of any quote unquote awakening process. If you don't, if you don't make it to the health part, then you're still on a long meandering path that it's heading there eventually. <laughs> so I want people to know that like if they're new to the awakening process or conspiracy, that there's a lot of branching forks in the road that you can take from the beginning, like, oh, I just got red pilled by the cooties scenario. Um, go towards health. That's the there's multiple directions you could go from there. But if you go towards health, you'll learn about all the other things along the way, but you'll have your priorities straight and you won't hold the vibration of fear and self-doubt as powerfully if your physical vessel is more harmonious and in tune. So that was a lot of rambles, but I'm sure there's somewhere to go from there. Yeah, no, I love it, man. And I think that that's what I found. I'm so grateful for finding even your show and people like you too, where, you know, I, I, I was listening to Owen Benjamin, I think since like 2016, right. And seeing his whole, his whole kind of path through getting kicked out of Hollywood and all that kind of stuff. And it really sort of changed my interpretation of what I, where I should go with my life and everything like that. But then you find in these circles that you, you do have that sort of rampant paranoia about everything. And that like next month, and you can even have this at the beginning of this whole thing in 2020, it was always, you know, the CBDCs and the end of the world is going to be next month. It's next month. It's next. And it's been that way for like two years. Right. And it's kind of like in that space, you can just find that sort of turning your wheels in um, not doing anything, being totally paralyzed and then a not creating and be in a state of fear. So even though you know what's out there is fake, you're still playing into that, that hand that they want you to play in. Because at the end of the day, like you said, with the ether and that, that everythingness is then when you have that sort of um, that idea of the divine masculine and feminine, which is sort of thought and then action, right? If you're, if your thoughts are all wrapped up in this, then you don't have action. So you actually are, you're, you're negative on both sides of that polarity. You know what I mean? Very much so, very much so. And that difficulty with like the rubber meeting the road between thoughts translating into action is really common right now. Uh, so I do tunings for people. I use tuning forks. I do it remotely. Seems really woo because I'm like waving around tuning forks in my living room while on a Zoom call with somebody in another country. <laughs> but it's amazing how effective it is. And part of it is really the most important part of it is that bringing to consciousness where energy is stuck in our field is the process that makes it come back into circulation again or invites it back into circulation. So I find that all the time that there's a, so there's this thing called the biofield anatomy that was pioneered by Eileen Day McCusick, which I saw you interviewed her. She, she's amazing. dude. Yeah, she's yeah. like, she's like my unofficial guru, but, and I learned what I do from reading her books and kind of putting my own twist on it and my own way of doing what it was she was describing. But anyway, so I learned about this biofield anatomy from her and that d difficulty with thought energy not making it to physical action is a root chakra thing generally and it uh you know it has to do with our hips actually it's really a like left hip area specifically people's energy gets stuck behind the left hip so there's two ways that it can go with the hips and we notice how, how many people have hip problems in older age in uh, the Western world, getting their hips replaced eventually. Well, if you have left hip issues, it has to do with like not doing what it is that you think that you need to do, putting 
you know, getting stuck in the thought area, maybe just like huge mental to-do lists that stress you out, but not actually accomplishing all of those things. And part of that trick is like letting go of the to-do list because we usually are overly ambitious about what can be done in a day. And it's more important to just be in the flow of doing what's right, right then. And then the next thing that's right. And instead of being stuck as a slave to your agenda, your, uh, your planner, but on the right side, the hip gets the energy of like overdoing it physically. And believe it or not, you can be in both states at once. <laughs> you can have, you can be overdoing it physically and not translating your mental energy into physical action all the way. It's crazy. Uh, but a lot of people will just get stuck on one side or the other. So the, the tuning stuff is incredible because you can help bring awareness to that, put it back into the middle column of your energy field. But the, to finish up the thoughts on the root chakra there, part of what gets people in that state of not taking the action that's best or right for them, or even just like straight up indolence or laziness is that they're not involved in the correct livelihood for themselves. That's the other thing about root chakra energy is it governs our, our work, our livelihood in the world, because it's about resources that support our and sustain our actual life. Uh, has to do with our where we live as well. So where we live could be a part of the issue if we need to move because we don't, we're not resonant with the area we're in and we know it or the, the living situation we're in that can cause root chakra problems as well and energy issues for the whole body. But specifically, uh, people might not realize that <laughs> like the level of energy and clarity that you might have to perform at a high level could be entirely different based on what it is that you're actually trying to do for your livelihood. So there's two ways of looking at it. Are you in an occupation? Are you occupied? <laughs> you know, is that like, is your imagination colonized by some belief or outside force that is giving you the sense that this is the only way that you can survive root chakra? by doing this type of work that you know isn't aligned with you spiritually or isn't fun or all the above, oh, you know, you actually would be able to perform that much more powerfully if it was something that brought you authentic joy and excitement and felt uh, right deep within. So, you know, your potential to generate currency is all about the actual current in your field, the electricity in your biofield. And Simple, simply put, like jumping off the cliff into some unknown direction that is also what you feel called to do instead of sticking with the sure thing brings such a different current to your field that your ability to draw to yourself the experiences and people and clients and whatever the case may be that support you on that path through the unknown is going to be 10 times, 100 times more powerful if you're actually feeling resonant with that path. But the key is like, again, root chakra governs fear too. The key is to go into the fear of the unknown instead of being like, uh, I don't know what will happen if I, if I quit this job or, or if I lose this job, what, what will become of me? Will I still have a house? Will I still be able to eat? But those questions are part of the programming of media and like the news and <laughs> the economic system of musical chairs where 
there's a certain percentage of people that are going to be impoverished just by the nature of how the debt-based system works. But the truth is, like in nature, um, if you look at how animals operate, now, other than certain cases where like maybe there's a squirrel storing its nuts for the winter or whatever, but the animals find what they need and they're just like in this flow state of being in a part, being a part of nature and what they need for that day, they find it, it shows up. They're not worried about like five days from now or a month from now or two months from now. They're just doing what they do and what they need shows up in their environment. Like the whole system is a giant intelligence and even though we only hold our little bubble of intelligence, that doesn't mean that our intentions and our actions don't influence the larger web of the ecosystem of intelligence of humanity and of nature itself. And in a sense, like with, for lack of a better word, program it to help us do what it is that we need to do. Yeah. And I can't, I can't agree with you more on a couple of those things with just jumping in and without, without fear or it, the fear is there, but you're still going towards it even starting this, I've been wanting to do this for a while. And it wasn't until I think September, or maybe October when I started this. But I've had just the most amazing synchronicities in my life that I can't explain other than this is just I just had to do this. And it's not like this was the calling of my life. It was more like I just I feel like this is some space I need to move into. I don't know what's going to happen. But here we go. And the opportunities that have come up and the the sort of people that I know, and, you know, we were talking earlier before before we hopped on here with, uh, you know, for one, your your interview with Dylan Scotia was one of, I think, like the quintessential breakdown of probably the Bible or Revelation or whatever. Um, but breaking down his books like that, it was just insane to sort of, for one, to listen to that and then pick those books up, read them myself, and then reach out to him and one of our other uh, mutual friends, Pat Daly. And now it's like a guy who I really respect, who is in this space teaching these kind of things. He's now like a guy that I know, you know what I mean? He's a buddy in my phone. He's a guy that I can just talk to. And this is like a writer that I really respected beforehand. And just moving into the space, you you open up these doors that are just incredible. And yes, it is kind of, you have to weigh up certain things because I don't, I don't have certain things in my life, like uh, people that, that depend on me and stuff like that. However, you know, whatever your situation is, is your situation. And it's just kind of moving into that space and figuring out like, you know, I'm just going to surrender here. It's almost like the leap of faith. You can't, you can't know what the how far down the uh, the drop sort of is before you do that. You have to go. There's no peeking over the ledge to be like, okay, was it like ten feet or is it like pretty far down here? You know, it's almost like the creator is kind of just like, no, you have to jump. It's going to be okay, but you know, the fall is the uh, the sort of process there. But you can't peek over before to see you know how far you're going to fall before you know you you sort of uh, are um, are cared for. Yeah, and another thing I'll add to that is like, you know, use common sense. If there are people that depend on you to just pull the plug on some sort of livelihood that you're currently engaged in, I'm not telling people to do that. I'm not giving advice, but you can always move in the direction that is more resonant. And nature actually operates more in smooth transitions than, being cat than big cataclysmic changes anyway. So I'm sure that if, like, that's kind of how I did it. I didn't just one day decide, okay, I'm going to be a, a podcaster and, uh, quit everything else. <laughs> I didn't have the confidence for that. I didn't have the skills for that. You want to set yourself up for success. You know, if it takes some time to develop the new skill set that you know, you want to move towards do that first. And that's where the work often is at is like, okay, I am working full time and something I don't feel that called to do. 
where can I fit in the, the learning, the knowledge? How can I start the practice, whatever it is? And I think it's not about how fast or even how far in life. It's about the direction you're oriented in. Because whether you're, <laughs> look at life like a game of shoots and ladders, you're either ascending or you're descending. Nature does not allow for stasis. So as long as you're on the upward momentum path in some way, the flow will continue to support you in that direction. And you'll know when to change up the pace and it'll feel right. And the opportunities will show up. And the key is like, just follow the opportunities as they appear and don't leave them hanging because it, you know, universe isn't going to knock too many more times on certain things. Yeah. It's a kind of balance between following intuition and being rational. And I think that we're obviously sort of brought up to follow the rationality a lot more and believe that the intuition doesn't actually even exist. But a lot of people that I look up to and that I've sort of modeled what I, what I want to go after, they've all said those same things of, um, you know, one guy like the lines, not cheap guy, Sean Whalen, you know, he talks a lot about uh, going for it and, and, and just kind of jumping in and going all in and stuff. And people ask him all the time, you know, is it, is it, does it ever get easier spending a lot of money developing certain things in your business? And he goes, no, I'm always, I, I always am nervous about spending a lot of money. And this is a guy who makes, you know, however much a month, but to, uh, to upscale his business, he also has to put in those resources and those sort of things. And it's like, people think that after a while you just go, oh no, I'm a, I'm a successful business dude. And I just, everything comes easy to me. It's like, no, every single dollar, every single paycheck, you're kind of, you're still nervous about, but it's about moving into that in the correct way. And in, in that sort of, I guess, space of it's going to be okay, even if it doesn't work out. Yeah, yeah, right. Like failure or obstacles, they're both the path forward, really. Uh, everybody has some level of failure at some point in what it is that they're trying to accomplish. And that shouldn't be the discouragement by any means. But man, you brought up Dylan. <laughs> I got to just comment like that dude totally, totally flipped my couch around on how I saw the world. It was really helpful to get into his work. I remember when I first came across him on Instagram. And saw what he was doing and picked up um, the first two books. And then the July's end of the third book came out. Like I was, I wouldn't say I was like lost, but I had been studying mythology, religion, spirituality, symbolism, and the pull towards the mysticism side uh, in a negative sense was very strong for me at the, that time and had been for a while. Like, all the different things that the priest class tells us that we should just believe about like the spirit world and take for granted because they know, they know for sure. And, uh, you know, his work along with getting more research into Wilhelm Reich and the really good book is ether God and devil by Reich gave me the realization that hold up, we've demonized the scientific side and the mechanism side, at least people in our sort of spiritual communities but we're totally ignoring the imbalance towards the mystic side, which ends up being not really any different than the mechanistic. This is how, what Reich talks about in, in that book, that the world is basically caught between these two false paradigms of the mystic and the mechanistic. The mechanistic tells you like, eventually we're going to be able to break everything down to its base components and figure out the operations of material reality and explain everything that ever happened through that material reality. But for us to do that, we need these instruments and measurements and things that the average person can't even access anyway. 
to verify, you know, this expensive equipment and whatnot. But then on the mystic side, it's the exact same thing going on. It's like experts who gave us a worldview of how spirit operates through their, you know, through us basically needing to trust that we take their word for it, that they're right. Uh, God told me, or I channeled this, or, you know, I'm not like ruling out that there's information that's available and accessible through uh, spiritual means. I'm definitely not ruling that out or that someone could tap into what is called the Akashic record, which is really like the universal ether and gain information. In fact, if your body is a vessel of containing all the universal ether in it, that means your body knows everything, (laughs) including stuff that you never consciously knew or learned. And that's amazing. Learning how to communicate with your body and tap into that, I believe, is what it means to be psychic, even though many psychics don't even know that that's necessarily how they're doing it. Uh, That being said, so Dylan's work really helps to show the the, uh, corruption of that mystic path and the silliness of a lot of it. Like his newest book, book four, I really enjoy, the book is called A God's Acre for the Winds of the Soul. I really, really enjoy his uh, breakdown of the different astrological ages that the priest classes have told us about. Like the what people hear about is the Kali Yuga they say we're in and these giant ages like a, a day of Brahman and millions of year cycles. And I'm like, look at that. And then look at the dinosaurs existed millions of years ago. And we know for sure. And this is the history of the world through the geological record and uh, some fossils we found. And trust us, we know the age of the earth and the universe is 13 billion years old. And like, it's the same shit on both sides. You know, it's the exact same thing, just like the right and left and politics are the same thing. It's Coke and Pepsi. <laughs> it's different branding. It's really pretty much how it works. So um, learning to, and it's still an ongoing path, an ongoing journey to dis- dissuade myself of ideas that I picked up through either one of those means of mechanism or mysticism, but learning to check back in with nature on all information that I take in what I can easily observe to be true or what aspect of the symbolism I can correlate to what is observable in nature and sticking to that as the the grounds of what is useful or real about it. Yeah, man. I was thinking that recently I had a conversation talking about how it's so funny that in the, in the scientific, in the scientific community, they say that it's ridiculous that we came from Adam and Eve and that there's only these two, there's these two people that just populate the whole earth. Like this is insane. And then you go, okay, well, there is what all these different races of like Neanderthals. And then at the same time, apparently two of them started talking just out of nowhere. And then those two made it. And then they like made everyone else. And it's like, it's, it's almost like in the, in the Bible or whatever, if there's different races and all these kind of things, like there's elves and there's giants and there's all these kind of stuff, right? You go, how, how, how much more ridiculous is that storytelling? If you want to call it storytelling in the Bible or something to the idea that like, there was all these different other like types of races of man. And then the two kind of got together and then they, you know, went to war with everyone else, wiped them all out. And now we're only these ones here. It's like, dude, it's the same story. It's just whether or not you're, you're going on one side or the other. Yeah. And equally unverifiable by the layman (laughs) and not provable by the people giving you the story. Like in both cases, it's a type of, worldview warfare, but it's the right and the left at war with each other for control of 
which worldview you're going to hold and thus which side is going to have sway over you in other areas. Yeah, and that's what Dylan's work is really great because it's almost, it's like when you look at some of these things, you have to have, if you're going to break something down, you have to have something to build it up on or you're kind of in this this sort of, I don't know, this abyss of, 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 of sorts. But I mean, it's, it's okay to have that actually and just kind of balance between the two thoughts in your head and not make a, uh, a solid um, foundation on one before you really kind of comprehend the both. But with him, it's sort of, he's telling you about the... Um, if you know that the, the sort of scientism isn't the way and you're kind of like, well, maybe like dab, I'll dabble over here in this religion kind of aspect when he breaks down and go like, no, it's there's, there's the same mind control and stuff like that within that as well. But at least he has, he gives you that groundwork of like, it, it's all sort of, and what Crow says too, is like, there's no lie in nature. And it's like, these stories are made by the priest class, but when you get even deeper than that, it's all nature-based in terms of when you break down what you guys did with the, 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 the story of revelation, right? Like, so oh, there's like four horsemen and what the hell is it? This is like ridiculous. And people are just going to, out of nowhere, everyone's going to fall from the sky. What about the people who are like flying planes right now? They're just going to be up into the rapture. And then what about all the people in the plane and stuff? It's like, you know, he's able to kind of go like, no, you fucking idiots. Like it is the four seasons and all that kind of stuff. So when you're able to kind of have that foundation again, that's why, you know, it's just, it's, it's amazing that the kind of work that he's doing to lay that sort of foundation of like, you got to get back to nature and get away from these kind of both sorts of ideologies. Cause they're, they're the exact same. And they're kind of the same people running them, right? The scientism and the, the Vatican to a certain degree. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> I'm really proud of uh, getting kicked off YouTube recently for not fully kicked off, but had a video removed for uh, talking to David Whitehead about his Cult of the Medics series. And we really explored that whole connection between the deep church and the medical mafia and all in actual, actual criminal underworld mafia and corporate overworld, how it's really all the same thing. Whenever you're given these right and left dichotomies. They're wings of the same bird or dragon, maybe. <laughs> uh, you know, thinking about the word rapture is fascinating because it actually comes from words that refer to rape. Uh, take, you know, rapere in Latin, I believe. Is, I may be pronouncing it wrong, but it's like to take something forcibly uh, against someone's will, which is where we get the word rape. But it's also the same root where we get the words for reptile and things like that. So, you know, I wonder about all the symbolism in the book of Revelation and the fact that there are myths uh, and of dragons in every culture around the world that, you know, if you described a dragon, maybe they didn't have the same word for it, but you describe a dragon to anybody anywhere in the world and they're going to be like, oh, yeah, we have stories about that. And they'll tell you stories that are similar to where to anywhere else in some degree. Just think about the word dragon. <laughs> if if it's a reptile that is a rape a raper, then it, it's rapturing people, taking them away up into the sky. Uh, a drag on, you know, it drags you off. <laughs> drag on, drag off. It go. There's like so much into the etymology of um, this idea of the the big terrible lizard, and it's interesting because it kind of fits the way that we work internally. That the our complex of the brain the lower mind, if humans can be kept in that, uh, keep kept in that mode of existence through fear and, and trauma based programming, it, you get carried away in it. You know, it takes, you get taken away and you're just sort of this, uh, programmable bot, you become this thing that doesn't have the higher mind. So maybe, maybe there's something to the symbolism in the book of revelation talking about raptures and 
dragons. Although I don't think in the book of Revelation, it really ever explains a rapture the way modern Christian dogma uh, talks about it. But perhaps this is just a wild speculation in this moment, but perhaps there's something to the idea of the rapture having to do with like some giant lizard beings that could have been seen as divine in a previous age carrying people off <laughs> into the sky. I don't know. Right. And that goes into some Steiner stuff where he talks about, uh, you know, uh, like giant primantises or something like that on the sun and things. It just, there's some, I don't know, there's some crazy stuff, but like, that's what, that's what I also like about Dylan and uh, Balderson and Marty Leeds and all that kind of stuff is all these different people who specialize in these different, I guess, mythologies. And then Dylan kind of breaks them all down kind of thing. But it's, it's like, it's almost like these stories, you can't live here on this plane without those being universal truths. Like you said, like if you go to any culture or something like that, they're going to have some sort of dragon character. And, and, you know, at some time of the year, they're going to have some sort of holiday in relation to the four cardinal points of the year and all those kind of things. Right. It's like, but then I also think about, well, if that's the case and it's not scientism, when you're talking about like your reptilian, like your lower mind, your reptilian mind and stuff like that, it always like messes with my head. Cause I go, well, okay. If I know that the scientism and the sort of like evolution side isn't, isn't the way forward or isn't the way that we were supposed to, that isn't the way that it actually can happen. Then like, are all the things where they say like, Oh, well, first we were reptiles. Then we like crawled out of the ocean. And then, you know, when, when we're, you know, how sex sells, it's because it's tapping into our lizard brain, all that kind of stuff. I'm like, man, like what the hell is true? Because if I know that it's not the sort of evolution side, does, is that side still exist? But like, of course it does. Cause that's kind of how we operate, but it's like, it's just such a mind, like a mind messer because you're like, I don't know what the foundation is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm not an, I'm not a believer in evolution as described. Like I don't consider my uncle a monkey. <laughs> right. But that being said, if the, I feel like the human being is what what we are is special for many reasons. And I'm not ruling out that there is a higher order of thought possible in some other forms of life on the planet, possibly, um, you know, dolphins and whales and things like that. When you consider how large those beings can get and that what gives us consciousness is our level of energy and a body that's larger is holding more energy. So there could be, some extremely high level of consciousness with that. But just like, uh, just like us, they have brains that are really complex and developed. And I don't know for sure. I haven't researched dolphin brains enough, but I know they have bigger brains than human beings and they probably have like an R complex of sorts as well. And what I'm, where I'm going with this is that if we are the template of the universe or like our bodies are, sort of a fractal reflection of the whole and all life is this thing that is self-similar across scales, then we would contain the reptile within us without needing to have evolved from the reptile. If that makes sense. That's kind of where I'm at with it. Uh, I don't know if I believe that we descended from an angelic state either. I'm not sure. Although that feels more likely than I say angelic. I just mean like a more, more aware of, truth and wholeness and uh, our power as carriers of the divine spark that feels more likely than coming up from some kind of slime primordial soup thing. But, you know, I, I hold space for the possibility that existence, it, which is source is the aspect of reality that doesn't have a beginning or an end it is un unbegotten. You know, it has 
so maybe <laughs> maybe existence has always existed and in some form you know in some way shape or form we've always been here and what is shaped and molded us is our level of traumatization versus our level of recapitulation of our parts into a whole and that could be the pendulum swing that humanity has been on uh, and appear giving the appearance of evolution and the rise and fall of civilizations and uh, obviously there seems to be a correlation to all that with the sky clock as well so that's kind of where i'm at with it yeah because couldn't that be the idea that uh you know people like howdy with breaking down the world's fairs and stuff like that these kind of these resets or whatever might happen um and the idea that the human beings are different in the fact that they do have that choice and i know crows talked about it a bunch with uh, i think it's steiner's work but i can't really remember it where it's uh you know, the, the higher planes or the higher kind of beings, whatever you want to call them, don't have that free will. And that's why they kind of like to, I, I don't know, tap into people on, on this plane because they're, they're sort of envious of that to a certain degree because we are different in the fact that we have the potential to be good or to be bad. But and think I mean, about this, Rob. If they don't have free will, then how did they make the choice to tap into a human being and like be, be their passenger and ride around on them? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I've no, heard I all that stuff too. I don't know about that. Right. And that's, well, that's, uh, this is where it's so confusing and it's hard to find the answers because for one, you get right back into that loop that we were talking about earlier of people who are the sort of looking into these kind of um, these ideas in like the, the sort of conspiratorial side of things. And all you, all you really have is debunking the current idea and showing how it's not, it's not correct. But then it's almost like it's, it's almost, it's next to impossible to figure out what it actually is because there's so much going against us to like figure what out what that is. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's almost like, uh, I guess embrace in, the mystery. Yeah, exactly. Right. Cause <laughs> it, like those, those books that are in the Vatican or whatever, right. It's like it, to a certain degree, if we're not allowed those or they demolish these, these buildings, like they had in the world's fairs and stuff like that. It's like, all we can really do is get as close as we can to figuring it out without actually, you know, getting the sort of keys to the, to the kingdom. Yeah. No history book will ever be true. Period. It will always be, words on a page or a record of something that was that came from a fallible human being that had a motivation. And even if information in it describes what really happened, it's still not going to be the whole truth. Actually, the definition of a lie is when truth is somewhat omitted in any way, if there's a partial omission of truth at all, that would be considered a lie. So every history book is a lie <laughs> because no history book could ever contain the whole truth. And in that sense, we can't contain the whole truth either. You cannot define the truth. It's the same as putting God in a box and giving it a name, put it, giving the self-existing, all-pervasive life force energy of being, which is a verb, not a noun, in some sort of a limited definition. It can't be done. It will always be incorrect. It will never be the whole truth. So... That's what I mean about there not maybe not being a beginning or an end that it's beyond. It's just like the ether. This is why I think Reich considers ether to be what people call God. I, I do personally. I think that the life force energy that we consider to be ether is the, the oneness of our construct, whatever it is. So with truth, what you said was actually the answer in itself that all we can do is debunk what isn't true. All we can do is rule out what it isn't. And that is how we start to get a wider 
perspective on what is and will always be in that process. It's an eternal process. And that is awesome because it means that we get to continue to exist and that existence <laughs> will never end. It's like when I say shoots and ladders, it's the ladder goes on and on forever. It's infinity. And you keep climbing it by asking questions. And when you find an answer, that answer gives you more questions and the path branches off and you get that pattern, dendritic pattern, like you see in the veins of your arm or the veins on a leaf of a tree or the branches of the tree or the lightning crackling across the sky, that pattern of branching, that is the pathway of life. That is us asking questions and then staying on the path, asking as king, you know, questing with our eye on, questioning. All that is the way. I feel like that's the way. And you say in Taoism that the Tao that can be named is not the Tao. I feel like that is so helpful to keep that in mind at all times and just replace the word Tao with like ultimate highest truth or history or anything that has been given to us in some form served on a platter as like, here's a dogmatic view that you can accept that limits your ability to ask questions about this thing because now you believe you know. And that is the ultimate weakness. The ultimate limitation is believing that you know. <laughs> and uh, it's better to just say no <laughs> to, to big, all-encompassing dogmatic beliefs because at least then you can keep moving. And you might find things that end up feeling true and you integrate them and accept them as a higher truth and then later realize you got to discard it. Just always be ready to say I was wrong. And you always will find reasons to say that and it'll always empower you when you do right yeah and that's what i think about i think dylan mentioned recently on his episode with crow that he, he doesn't he doesn't make claims he just debunks what's not what's not real right because again then you're not you're 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 making space for the idea that i could be wrong or i'm not saying one way or the other i'm just saying that it's clearly not this and now we can move towards getting closer and closer to that but again like you said we'll, we'll never kind of be there right when it gets it just gets so fascinating to think about these things, man, because you, you, you mentioned on your other, your show too, with Howdy, where he was saying that, you know, the, the, the weighing, the weighing of your heart, right. In the, in the Egyptian kind of idea is, is not, not so much how much, how much evil and, and good have you done in your life. It's more how much have you lived out your actual purpose? And what if that purpose is for the nefariousness, right? And it's kind of like, oh my God. Okay. So now there's like people that are like, their, their whole idea is to like have these challenges for other people. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's just such like a, it's fascinating to think about, man. Yeah, and going back to that idea of higher beings that may or may not be interfering or assisting with human development and that that idea that uh, Fortune St. Germain puts out, I believe, or maybe it came from Steiner, I don't know, but I've, I hear Crow say this a lot recently, that they have no free will when they're closer to the Godhead. I call bullshit. <laughs> I love Crow. I don't think that that is an accurate thing to internalize as a belief though. And the reason is from my observation, free will is synonymous with what we consider to be spirit or God or the source or whatever. When you consider the origin or the source of all that's been created in the world, well, how did it get there? If it was created, it was made up. <laughs> it's, you know, another way, like it was thought into existence. Maybe that's where you get the, the constant repetition of 
the being that runs the show being Thoth, which is Thoth, Mercury, Hermes, what have you, all the different versions of it, Odin, Jesus, it goes on, Jehovah, Bacchus. So if that's the case, if what is the source of all things is like something made something up, right? Whenever you tap into your divine spark, your, in my opinion, the most authentic spiritual path being follow, being to follow what inspires you creatively and to keep creating whatever it is that you feel like creating. I think that is the, the most authentic spiritual path you can be on rather than some sort of mystic or mechanistic dogma based, um, you know, tyranny. <laughs> so whenever this even applies to like healing arts to what I do with tuning forks to, to being psychic, things like that. If it's, even if you're doing it authentically, the authenticity comes from your intention, purity of intent. And your purity of intent and thought comes from your health and how well you're in balance. So basically at those, the best levels or the highest levels that I've ever experienced or witnessed of healing arts or things that you would consider energy work of that nature, it feels like you're making it up as you go. I tell people this a lot. That's actually, that's where people get hung up and they're like, oh, if I'm making it up as I go, then I must be faking it. <laughs> this isn't authentic. And they get this like imposter syndrome thing. If you're feeling the imposter syndrome, it's because in some way you're imposing what isn't true and what isn't you onto the process. Uh, you're holding on to something that makes you an imposter. The way to be authentic is to don't, don't fake it, <laughs> you know, and you don't fake it by making sure your intentions are pure, even as you're making it up as you go. That's what a flow state is. You're making it up as you go, but also almost in a thoughtless way. Um, maybe the, the forethought was what led you into the flow state, but in the moment, like a basketball player shooting his three pointer, he's not really overthinking it. He's just doing it. So that's where we tap in and get closer to the divine spark or the source when we're making it up as we go. So that would mean that, in my opinion, reality is made up in the same way, the larger reality, the, the all that is mind. And so to me, it's only logical to assert that what we consider spirit, God, ether, what have you, is on a vertical axis, like, like uh, Walter Russell would say, with other concepts like such as free will. Free will, spirit, consciousness, love, mind, God, all these words Walter Russell puts into a, a, a vertical column of synonym, syn being synonymous with each other. And if that's the case, then how could some <laughs> ascended angelic being that was closer to the so-called Godhead be lacking free will? Then that would mean that they're actually a lower being. They're further from the Godhead. If it's something that has no free will, that's a being that's getting all that's getting closer to some sort of like demiurgic egregore, in my opinion, something tyrannical. Right. Yeah. And then there's the idea that we make a choice to be here and we come here for the purpose. And how would we make that choice? If we didn't have that free will in the other plane, whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's safe to take on that idea of that is put out in the new age and spiritual communities that like, you chose all your experiences, including everyone that would ever wrong you and that you would wrong them. I feel like if we can philosophically assess that free will is the grounds of being, then that would mean everything's free will. And that 
means that you can alleviate some of the judgment that you cast at others who have wronged you and instead just try to find the lesson that can better yourself in it. Uh, you know, it doesn't excuse wrongdoing. I'm not saying like, oh, she got raped because she chose it in the spiritual dimension. Even if that is true, that doesn't take away the part of the lesson that needs to be learned by the one who did the act. They chose it too. And so they're going to learn from the consequences and, you know, the feeling of what it was and the feelings that <laughs> the feeling of what happened and the feelings that the resulting actions from those feelings, they're all part of the, the, uh, the chain of consequences. I would say that I'm kind of not, I'm leaning towards not believing in karma as a, as described by the Eastern traditions, but that there is obviously a chain of consequences and that should be, we should definitely focus on that. But I believe the karma thing does trip people up because it's part of the priestcraft jive, like original sin is given to us in the Western traditions. Well, in the Eastern traditions, they're like, it's karma. It is your karma. You were a shithead shit in a past life. So this is why you suffer. This is why you are a lower caste. It's no different than the idea of your life is suffering and, and hellish because Adam and Eve bit the apple. So just wait for your reward in heaven and be a good little slave. I, I don't like either of those ideas, but I mean, in a sense, karma is real. There are consequences for actions. There is definitely that law of cause and effect, but uh, I just have been trying to rule out, root out and rule out my belief in anything that I haven't experientially proven, including things that I've experienced on a, in a mystic way that I then made an assumption about what it meant and internalized a belief when in reality, it was just an experience that was purely um, subjective to me and like just hold on to the experience and not the interpretation, if that makes sense. Be open to more than the one interpretation that maybe I put on it in terms of whatever the mystical experience was. Yeah, so much of what you're saying made me think about, uh, yeah, I've got this question for you because you guys are breaking down all these Marvel movies and stuff too, where, you know, it doesn't excuse the, the wrong behavior, but what if that, what if that contract in the other plane, whatever that might've been for the two of you to have that interaction, um, it was the choice that you go, you know, either you do or you don't, um, I, you know, we're going to have that experience, but whether or not that choice is made is the choice that's supposed to happen in this, this plane that we're on. So, you know, if in the, the grand scheme of things, the the choice was made to rape or something like that then now this thing now these cascading effects happen or you know in the in the sort of miraculous chance where i guess maybe the uh the whole purpose was to have that experience and at that point make the choice not to and then the whole cascading effect happens but then it goes into the whole multiverse thing with i i don't even know like because i don't you know the whole multiverse is kind of wrapped up in this idea of the scientism of these multiple planets multiple universes all that kind of stuff but it makes you think about those kind of ideas, right? It was like, maybe it's, you know, what I just described. Does that make any sense? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, the multiverse thing, I'm torn about it. <laughs> <laughs> Pun intended. Because um, for one, for one, it seems like universe is all there is. Like there's one universe. Uh, and we have maybe misattributed our infinite potential and free will to go any way at any moment as multiverse or maybe internalized our fear that we went the wrong way and that a different path would have been better and created the idea of multiverse. Also, I can't help but assume that the reason why multiverse is so popular 
in the culture right now and why at the same time in Taurus season, they put out Multiverse of Madness, the Doctor Strange movie, and that Everything Everywhere All at Once, same time. Makes me think, and both of them were about problems with mom, mom problems. Taurus is the mother of the sky clock. I mean, Multiverse of Madness, the acronym for that movie is M-O-M. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and the, two, and the two moms of the one character, right? And Everything Everywhere All at Once is about a shitty mom. Her, the main <laughs> character is a shitty mom. You know, so I don't know when you consider the MK ultra aspect of fracturing and creating alternate alter personalities and all that to me, it's very suspect that they want to push the belief in a multiverse on people. And it seems more disempowering than not, you know, it's fun to talk about and be like, Oh, I can tap into my alternate universal selves and pick up on their powers that they developed and skills that they got. But why not just simplify that and be like, I can literally do anything I want right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> why not just simplify it? Why does it have to be like, oh, it's not me that has this ability. It's this other dimensional version of me, but I can kind of use it when I want it. Or you can just do what you fucking want. You can just do what's right and best for you right now. I don't know. That's kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting, man. And, and again, the uh, the encodes of that stuff is crazy too. And when you guys are talking about the OA, I went back and watched that, and, and there is so much in that show, man. I, like, I you, actually never saw that one. I'm kind of curious though. Well, I think you brought up uh, when you were talking to Bear uh, Bear Lando about you know if you, if you lose sight in your physical body, you can still sort of tap into the spiritual sight, right? And that whole show is about that. Right? It just it's it's like and and the way that they do the. Um, the way that they kind of talk about the the sort of other plan, everyone's got a, an NDE, right? A near-death experience. And the way that they kind of show those things and that, again, there's a choice to, to come back or not and all that kind of stuff. It's just, you, you look at it and you go, man, I don't know, obviously someone wrote this, but you kind of, exactly what you were talking about earlier is like, when you were writing this, what were you tapping into? Because this is so in alignment with a lot of like the spiritual texts and all these kind of things. And it's um, even the new season of Stranger Things that's coming out now, right? I'm rewatching the other seasons and there's like, even that, like the idea that you can, you know, she can, you know, uh, go and visit people who aren't there and they're experimenting with that and stuff like that. And like, it, that's just astral projection and all these kind of things. But then you think it's just, it's just these one group of people in this weird Hawkins experiment, but it's like, are they trying to tell us that we're all capable of these things? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And they're trying to tell you that to get those type of powers, you got to be brutally traumatized. Right. I mean, that's what Moon Knight is about too. It's explicitly said in that Moon Knight TV show like multiple times, like that my pain and my trauma and what you inflicted on me, oh, dark God of the moon, is what gave me the ability to be the ferocious, decisive person I am now and, and whatever. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. Anyway, to me, that's more Welton Sean's Krieg, more worldview warfare. Uh, I think that technologically, so I, I've been playing with this thought lately. I don't want to, obviously, I've been very anti-absolutes <laughs> in this conversation. But wiggle with me on this thought thread that, you know, technology is a plagiarization of spiritual or innate capacities of the the all mind or the human being. And so it's possible that as technology increases in the age as an age progresses in towards more technology, that spiritual versions of that capacity diminish and in vice versa, as you go towards 
uh, more spiritually connected capacity to do things like telepathy and astral projection, the need for the technology diminishes. If, if the idea of the procession of the ages is accurate, then we have gone to the full end extreme of where in my, I, I guess the technology side would be dominant. I would think that the Piscean age would be where it was at its height, right? Oh, technology would, because that's like the, the end of the sky clock, the end of the road. Maybe, and maybe the age that was previous to that, the age of Aries, was truly ended with some kind of great reset where humanity went from the height of that interconnectivity and spiritual enlightenment to, boom, right down to a dark age. Maybe that's how it works, like a reset. And maybe as we move towards into Aquarius or further into Aquarius, whatever the case may be, we're seeing the technology shift towards, it's still a lot of technology, but it's shifting towards being more reflective and resonant of our, our innate, innate interconnectivity. Maybe as we progress forward, we'll have, in, in the ages, we'll get more and more psychically, uh, tech, more psychic technology and less external technology. Could be. It's just a possibility but what they give you I, I don't think that it ever has i don't think the age you're in rules out your ability to <clears throat> your ability to do the psychic technology it's just that your worldview has been created that makes you believe that it's only possible through the tech and that you don't have the capacity and part of what they do in these shows like stranger things is they're like oh if you want these powers you got to have horrible trauma and that's what unlocks it uh, <laughs> rather than like, I don't know, practice and discipline and mindfulness and uh, an authentic path, right? That's just my two cents. Yeah, well, I thought it was interesting in that show, they were talking about the when she's trying to unlock the powers and all that kind of stuff. It was the memory. It was, it, there's two distinct difference of, the, of scenes in two different uh, movies was hers was something that made you feel incredibly sad and angry and but then you also have something in you know x-men first class the one with fassbender and mcavoy and the two of them are talking and he's using it to you know do something like way out in the distance and he says the, the memory that was incredible happiness and um it was it was the image of him eric lencher in in world war ii and his uh his family and all that kind of stuff right around the dinner table before they were like murdered and all that kind of stuff and it's just interesting that it's almost like at, that was back in i guess 2011 that one came out and like the stranger things is kind of like newer i guess but it's weird how they're playing with both of those ideas of um using these kind of things out of this like idea of love or some deep connection with that that sort of thing and then one is all anger and 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 uh and pain yeah it's like star wars light side and the dark side right so yeah so it's almost like it's not it's not one or the other it's actually both kind of thing so you're saying well oddly enough <laughs> When you look at the Star Wars metaphor, the Jedi are really not about love. They're about true neutrality and balance. Hmm. Uh, and when you consider like the Anakin Skywalker character who becomes Darth Vader, how he gets there is actually because of love. But love in almost like an obsessive, not totally lustful way, but in a protective, obsessive ownership way. You know, he's able to be manipulated into falling to the dark side because he's afraid that his uh, wife is going to die, which is against the rules for Jedi to have relationships like that. So, you know, when you consider the stranger things metaphor that 
or what you're describing right there, that like the two pathways to the power were either through love or through like rage. <laughs> Maybe they're kind of giving you a hint that those things are two sides of the same coin, that hate and love are uh, polarities, if you will, that are not opposite. They're the same thing in different quanti quantities. Maybe it's kind of my thoughts on it. Um, no, yeah, all, all I'm thinking it, now is like if if it's like a uh, an encode to like the second half of the season or something like that. If it's like the the thing that ripped the hole open was the anger. Or like, is there going to be something where they healed it with the love or something like that? Can we? Is it cool if we pause for just a second? I'll be right back. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, okay, let's talk about the love thing a little more. I got this amazing insight from. Dylan's fourth book, the, A God's Acre for Winds of the Soul, but he's doing all this syncretizing in all the books, connecting everything back to the I-O, Yo, Yah, Yov, Jove, You, Jew, all these words that are names for the, the sun ultimately, which is symbolic of the source. Well, in the Romanized pronunciation of languages, the J, or the I makes the same sound. It's like a Y. It's like yeah. So J O V E is like Yove, right? Which is where you get it's you know where you get Jove, Jehovah, Yehovah, Yahweh, Yah, right? So look at the word love, and look at the L at the beginning. <laughs> Stranger Things character, what's her name? L. Wow! Wow! wow. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. The L at the beginning also looks like a capital letter I. Very close, very similar, which would mean if you just took a little green language peek at it, philologically, that love could be Yov. God is love. God is Yov. <laughs> and now think about all of the aspects of maybe your own personal life, whoever's listening, where you thought you were following love and it kind of took you in the wrong direction. I can say that that's happened to me. I say the wrong direction. There's not really a wrong direction. I don't want people to think like, oh, I screwed up my life here or there. But it took you in a direction that ended up being a failure that you needed to learn from and change course, which is ultimately a positive. Sure. Ultimately a positive. There's, you're, you know, that's, it's good. But consider all the different subversive movements and culture that center around love. What month are we in right now? <laughs> June? What did, what did they turn June into? Right? It's, and it's supposed to be all about love and acceptance. And uh, some really dark things are coming out of that in terms of how children are being programmed. Again, think of L, the character, who is a child. Um, think of the hippie movement, the free love movement, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. All of that stuff that is powered by, on the outside, ostensibly love. Or what people are mistaking as love, which is really a type of um, selfish lusting after something. Maybe this is all just conjectural. And I see love. The real thing that the universe is, is potential. So the real, the real love to show to yourself or to anybody else is to honor the potential, the possibilities of branching paths, the way that life expresses itself in that dendrite pattern. That's the pattern. That's the, you know, patter. You, you, Potter, Jupiter, the pattern. The pattern is the expression of multiple potentials continually, continually expanding, I think. It's the pattern of, of reality. So 
when we are afraid, when we fear, which is sort of the, the polarity of love or hate is a polarity of love too, I guess. Um, hate and fear kind of go hand in hand. You tend to fear what you hate or hate what you fear. That fear or hate restricts a possibility down to a single outcome. Like if you're afraid of, of something, then you try to control your situation so that only the outcome that you think is right will happen to you. So a lot of people's, what they experience and they think they're expressing as love is them trying to control an outcome down to a single possibility. And when you look at how relationships go for people, they often do end up controlling their partner to some level or holding their partner in their mind and heart as a story or a vision of them that is only one version of them. And that if they strayed from that version, they'd be afraid that they wouldn't be loved by them or be able to love them anymore. And it's a very unconscious, subconscious thing. So uh, love, on the other hand, truly loving another person and another being or yourself or the world is to honor the possibility of as many or even infinite potentials as you possibly can without trying to control the outcome with trust that the right way will emerge in the multiplicity, in the potentiality without needing to control. So I also look into like, you know, satanic cults and ritual abuse and sacrifice cults. It's bizarre to be in the position I'm in. And I'm sure that it's like tame compared to some people that have gotten um, more out there in terms of the length of time their online careers or their, their public work has gone on. But I'm in a position now where people actually come to me privately and tell me stories of like where they've seen the cult, if you will, the, the worldwide underground cult operating, trafficking humans, uh, doing sex, sex magic rituals, sacrifice rituals, witchcraft covens, all that type of stuff. And a common thing, a common theme that I've noticed is that a, these covens are like really all about the quote unquote free love. They have like secret shacks out in the woods where they get together and do their orgy, orgiastic magics. And, or in a one-on-one -on -one case, the powerful sociopathic psychic vampire that somebody might end up getting mixed up with, maybe in a relationship, they'll say things like, when I was with them, even though I knew that there was something wrong or off, or eventually I figured out that something was wrong or off, or I was being used or manipulated or drained, when I was with them, I felt, I've heard this exact phrase before. I felt a love and a feeling in my body that I've never felt from anybody else before. So I know that that was real love and not, nobody else has ever made me feel that way. And I'm over here like, yo, that's just high level, <laughs> high level, dark energy work to give you that feeling that is actually like kind of controlling you. Uh, they, so that's a move of psychic vampirism is they'll build you up and they'll fatten the cow metaphorically before they juice you or they drain your blood or <laughs> metaphorically or literally. So all that being said, like there's something up with this concept of love as we've been given it. And uh, we really need to think maybe more along the terms of potentials and balance over um, feelings and and uh, attachments and lusts and desires when we come to reckoning what it is that love means to us or what is the grounds for 
reality or what is the true path of goodness or, or the higher path. And, uh, I mean, I don't have the answer for it all. These are just things I'm thinking about right now, recently that as people come to me and tell me different things about their experiences. And I look back on my own experiences and I look at the etymology and I look at the way that the cult has operated openly and secretly throughout history. And that this love concept is very much a tool of whatever demiurgic force has been crafted by those that seek to control and have power over others. Something about love isn't right <laughs> in in the most people's conception of it. Wow. Yeah, that's so intense, man. Like, I just think that it's it's also so true with when, when we have a society now where the divorce rate is what it is, and you have these very warped ideas of what love is, and even what a partnership is, or even what true marriage should be, um, not in the sort of uh, licensure sense, but in an actual sort of contract, like a soul contract sense, that gets distorted too, because then people grow up thinking, well, I love this person. You're like, well, what does that word mean to you? Or what is that word? We don't really have an, a, an answer for it other than, well, it's, I don't know, it's my parents. It's like, well, my parents are divorced. So like it's, it's love, but it's also, it can be this and it can be that. And it's like, you know, there's all these distortions with that word too. And then you get those sort of experiences happening to people. And then they don't really know how to classify what that actual experience was or what that word means, or that's intense. Yeah. <laughs> I'm currently playing with the idea of purpose before feelings. Okay. And not that feelings are irrelevant, but that purpose is the priority maybe. And not to ignore or suppress your feelings, but like look at how your feelings maybe are interacting with your purpose, hindering it or helping it. And something in there might be a helpful path forward, but I haven't got an answer. Interesting. Yeah. That's kind of, I had to think about like the divorce thing, right? You know, maybe people would, keep their family together and have a, and find a better harmony if they were aligned in purpose and then working out their feelings in support of their purpose, rather than being like, Oh, my feelings mean that I got to crash and burn all the purpose that we ever had. Right. Yeah. And I guess that's kind of the hyper, hyper attention, hyper focus right now on like feelings over, it goes back to like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the feminization of the world in a sense, because like, I'm not saying that the masculine should be dominant over the feminine, but the masculine is the active principle. So in a sense, like it makes, to me, it makes sense that the purpose could be, that the feelings could be like subservient to the purpose rather than sabotaging the purpose over the feelings, if that makes sense. I don't know though, <laughs> uh, but I do see like a hyper feminization of society. That is the definition of what's leading us to communism. I know you've talked to Dylan before you've seen his thoughts go pretty extreme in that, in that direction, but there seems to be a thread there for sure. And, uh, maybe a way to understand it would be like, your feelings are going to be there. Even if you break up or even if you wreck your marriage or your family, you know, that anger, that frustration, the wounding, the hurt that your partner put in, put on you through what they did or what you did to them just because you break up and then maybe you find somebody else and they make you feel good. Well, it won't, it didn't, it doesn't mean that the feelings that you ran away from in the other situation aren't still part of you and in your field, they're going to come back. You're going to encounter them again. They're going to sabotage your purpose again. So to me, like the way out is through go into and through the feelings, figure out the root cause of them. Don't ignore them. 
they're there for a reason, but don't let them overrule your purpose. And maybe you come out the other side of working through feelings with like in a relationship sense. And you still are more, are very sure that now, like I know that these feelings aren't there anymore. I've reached a place of balance and neutrality, but I still see that my purpose is misaligned with this relationship or this family or this job and then make the choice you got to make. But like, don't make the choice on feelings. <laughs> maybe that's the, maybe that's the self-sabotage part because the, you know, splitting apart from, from, anything doesn't actually like division doesn't ever actually heal uh hurtness it actually can just exacerbate it so i don't know those are my opinions on it currently well right and what you're saying about letting your emo- go through the emotion too because isn't that it's kind of the idea of what you're doing with your uh your, your biofield tuning right in the in the terms of if, if you lock your emotion if you're not your emotions and your emotions do move through you, then if you tense up like a car crash or something like that, you, you end up locking that emotion, not only in, in your psyche and where every time you experience that, you know, another kind of event that sort of triggers that, that uh, response, but it's actually physically in your body too. Yep. You hold on to it in muscular tension and in your field. And the thing about that is like, it lowers your level of consciousness because you have less energy in circulation. Energy gets stagnated. Like, Man, I, I think that what people call demonic possession <laughs> is just stuck energy in their field or in their body that has become so walled off, armored, and compartmentalized that that energy stagnates and thus is corrupted for one, takes on a lower, for lack of better words, vibratory quality. But then because the energy that makes up our vessel is ether, is thus consciousness back to that Walter Russell Russellian vertical plane that we're creating false gods within ourselves. We're creating alter selves in our own universe, our, our inner verse. <laughs> and those like, man, those could be voices that are giving you lots of negative self-talk, hypercriticism, bad feedback all the time. And I don't know, since I've, I wouldn't say that I've, perfected perfected myself or my biofield. Like if somebody did what I do on other people to me, they would probably find stuff to help me with. <laughs> I'd actually love to get a dose of my own medicine someday. <laughs> but that being said, like I've noticed a change in myself over the recent year or two where before there would be the uh, occasional, you know, earlier in life it was way worse, but there would be the occasion before there'd be the occasional like negative self-talk like oh you're such a piece of shit or whatever like that mental chatter that comes in to to criticize about whatever uh i find it like replaced with extremely positive self-talk that almost feels like someone else talking about me and talking me up (laughs) and i i don't know i don't know what that is but maybe that's what people consider to be guides maybe that's like my own circulating energy returning to me and feeling good because it's in flow I don't know, but I do think that like the idea of demonic possession could be explained through energy field dynamics. I wouldn't rule out the possibility of externals coming and becoming a passenger in somebody's field, but that doesn't even happen without some level of opening the door uh, and consenting on some level. If we go back to the free will assessment, like the old myth of the vampire, you got to open the door for it and let it in. So that's like my attempt to remove some of the mysticism of what people experience with ideas of possession or a demonic attachment and all that. 
I mean, demon or daemon is like two and mon and mon or men is mind. And it is uh, reflective of the mental plane and the self. It's like a divided mind and mind is, is experienced as the current and flow of that etheric energy. Like um, as Eileen puts it in her book, your mind is not something that's being generated in your brain by some biochemical reaction. Not, neither is your memory there. It is your mind is the flow of energy in your entire system. That's actually what plasma is. It's a state of, of matter that's gone between in the liminal space between pure energy and pure and, uh, and material. And the best way I could describe plasma or the bioplasma or the ether is that it's not a specific particleization uh, or, or waveform so much as it is the pattern of the flow itself. And it makes it a little bit abstract in that sense, but that is where your mind is at. Your mind is this field of flow that your body vessel is generating, containing whatever word you want to give to it. And hmm, what was I going to say about that? Uh, <laughs> lost my flow. Oh, yeah. The last part was just that in that I, in that model, your body is in your mind rather than your mind being in your body. And I think that's more accurate. And it also reflects the hermetic axioms that seem to have a lot of validity to them too, in terms of being uh, possibly universal laws that we can actually accept as being somewhat reflective of truth or, or fully true. Like I definitely jive with pretty much the, all the Kybalian seven hermetic principles, they seem to prove out in nature. So they're not the full truth. That's why there's multiple, but they do describe truth. So truth cannot, the way I understand like laws and all that is the truth is not definable, but it is describable. And a description doesn't have to be all encompassing. It's just qualitative, right? And that's the way the most powerful language works too, is uh, descriptive rather than definitive. Right. Yeah. And there's always the, the failing of words too, right? Because there's the thought that you have in your head is never going to be the exact words you can find verbally. So it's always, it's almost like words always fail and it's interesting to really understand them. That's why I love Dylan's work too, is, um, almost like, um, you're never going to win. You're never going to win a game against people that you don't know the rules. And he's, he's, he sort of provides that rule book to people too. Right. And, uh, yeah, what you were saying is, is so true. And it reminds me a lot of what Paul Check says as well is uh, even like your soul, right? Your mind or your soul too is, is people think about their, 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 their body and their soul is trapped inside there somewhere where he's kind of like, no, you don't understand. Like, you, you know, the, the energy form that you are, isn't just your body. It's, it's outwards of that as well. Like Eileen's work and everything like that too. So even saying, even your soul is not like your body. It's almost like your body's trapped in your soul not your soul is trapped in your body. Yeah. And even trapped is a, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and not to like mince words or pick the point apart with you, but we have those expressions of language. We've been given the belief of like this sort of uh, pop culture Gnosticism. The body is a prison, prison planet. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, you got to ascend to escape. And uh, ultimately, I, I feel like I wanted to make this point earlier, but I think the weapon of the so-called enemy is division. I do not think that I have ever witnessed division in nature. I think I've only seen addition, subtraction, and multiplication. I don't think I've ever seen division. <laughs> and like in a mathematical sense, 
Um, I'm pretty sure division is the, the tool of the artificial uh, and the artificers of our culture and the controllers of our culture. And we observe that so obviously in the way that, you know, here's the current thing, get divided over it. I support the current thing. I'm against the current thing. I support the Cokes. I support the Pepsis. Like it goes on and on. And I think maybe the, other than like getting into the, uh, the birth trauma aspect and the very original artificially induced division of having the umbilicus cut before it's ready to come off on its own. Um, you know, <laughs> that's like an artificial division, right? Other than that, I think one of the primary divisions that has been rooted in the human psyche is the distinction between body and spirit and the belief of a spirit world and a physical plane. And in my estimation, there's not a difference between the two. In my estimation, if we're saying that ether vibrates to create form and that our bodies are containers for ether, but also the physical form itself would be created of ether, not just that it's holding the current of the plasma in the flow, but that the what we can, can experience as hard matter, our, our physical body, is still ether. So that means it's not like if ether is spirit, that means that there isn't some spirit plane over there and we're over here. This is we're in the spirit world right now. And I think people have I've heard people say things like, oh, this is the realm of inversion, or we're actually all dead right now and need to like figure that out. And what I think what they what they're tapping into but misinterpreting is that there isn't another plane that the dead go to or that the spirits reside in. I think that part of the reason why there are spiritual forces at play and even like uh, influencing and corrupting mankind, the whole fallen angel idea is because that's, this is where the power is at. This is where it's, this is existence, man. This is where it's at. So if you can gain control of like, you'd ask yourself like, what's the point of some spiritual entity wanting to gain control of physical material resources on the, on the dimension that we're in? <laughs> what is the point of some higher octave of uh, reality wanting to come in and influence the material world and gain all control of all the gold and this, that, and the other thing? Well, what if they're not on a, what if there isn't a higher plane, but that octave that they're existing on is just a different wavelength of vibration, but it's not separate from here. It's part of the same vibrating cord you know, light and sound and electricity and gamma rays and x-rays are all a spectrum of vibration of the same thing, which is just that very idea that you can go look up a chart and see the different frequency bandwidths that are labeled as such, like the visible spectrum, infrared, ultraviolet, gamma rays, all of that and like sound at the bottom, you know, sonic, sonic uh, level of perception. The fact that that's all on one spectrum and even scientism acknowledges that in my opinion demonstrates that there's an ether <laughs> like what's vibrating then yo <laughs> how like what is light what are photons so all that being said is i think like why would the beings want to control the gold well the gold has a certain vibrational quality and why would spiritual beings want to come in and inhabit this plane or take over this plane or control this plane this is their plane too this is i think existence is what exists I think it's a oneness in that level and that the schisming in our minds between a here and a there uh, is part of the original control mechanism that the 
the priest class has used against us forever. Like, oh, do be a good slave here and you'll get your rewards in the afterlife and all of that. Uh, I don't really buy that anymore. I don't buy the division between spirit and matter anymore. And I don't hear a lot of people talking about that, but I'd love to shift the conversation into that direction and see more people explore that idea and come up with potentially more reasons to support it now that they're open and opening up to the thought, maybe. Um, because I think it's disempowering ultimately to have that division. I think all division is disempowering and that's the design of it. Um, <laughs> anyway, like it's in the word like division. Uh, maybe it's an eight to our experience since we have two eyeballs, but uh, you know, the upside of it is we are granted the capacity to create and to take the components of nature and make something attempt to make something new with it. But is, you know, it's our greatest blessing and our greatest curse in a sense, because if what we uh, artifice is out of alignment with the way nature does things, it's going to hurt. And if it is an alignment, it's going to help. It's going to, so like we have the power to exalt what nature does. And that's basically at the core of what lab alchemy was ever trying to do. I love what Balderson says about alchemy, that the philosophy came from the lab, not the lab coming from the philosophy. And that part of what has gotten uh, alchemy so off track in terms of uh, being like a spiritual tradition or a, a path of thought or a school to go down is that it's become so separate from the lab from actually like Balderson says that his insights and his spiritual development have been directly tied to him doing stuff in the lab. And I'd love to get on that path. I'd love to <laughs> find a way to start la doing lab alchemy myself and see how, see if I can verify what he's saying for myself, because to me, that makes perfect sense that if you do something in the physical external world, in the sense of in the lab, it's also something that's happening within you because in, in truth, there's not a division between the inner and outer world. And your experience in the outer world is a direct expression of your thought and of, uh, and of feelings, but mostly, of, maybe mostly of thought. Uh, I'll, hold, I'll hold up here and see if we're wanting to go from here. <laughs> no, man, well, there's so much within that too. And I think there is something to be said of the fact that because we, because we have a body, we think that there's a barrier between everything that's, that's contained in this is me and everything on the outside of that is the other world where exactly what you said about like the ether, it's almost like the densities of what the ether is create those forms out of vibration, all these sort of things. But there isn't there, like you said, there isn't a division. There isn't like a barrier between them. It's just the, the sort of, I guess the varying degrees of density that make those two things up, but there's always this constant interplay between these two things. It's a, it's a symbiosis. It's like a, an organic um, dance 24, seven, 365. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, and I think the advantages of that on a free will level is like, that container and that barrier conceptual as it may be of our body and in the outer world gives us the capacity to have a story of life, <laughs> you know, to, to experience unknown. Um, because if we're in the state of the all knowing, if we're in that pleuromic, pure universal etheric, etheric mind, there's not the, the, okay. So back to like collapsing divisions, uh, the all, is the same as the void, right? right? If everything is all at once, everything everywhere all at once combined with its opposite. Remember in that movie, what happens? The, um, the uh, villain character is trying to put everything in the universe onto a bagel, an everything bagel, and it's creating like a black hole, like a pure void. 
it's like inviting nothingness to take over all reality. Well, that's kind of a, tr a truism. Look at the yin and the yang. Look at the yin-yang symbol. Like the void and the all, the black and the white, they're no different than each other. If you, you could consider even like the universe to be, I, heard, I don't know where I heard this, but the universe is like a black or a white page being with a story been being written on it with black ink until the whole page is filled up with black and then it switches to starting to write with white ink. <laughs> and then a new story is written. I like that as a metaphor a lot. So uh, that being said, like why have the limitation or like why does Saturn exist in our experience? And like, is Saturn really the bad guy, the boundary holder? One of the names for the, I mean, all, of, all across the mythology and this, when you get into the syncretism, um, the Tav, the T, the terminal point, the end is is very connected with like the one being or the one God or the, the three in one God, the Trinity that starts with a T. One of the names for the more occulted deities of uh, so-called ancient Rome was Terminus, which was the God of fences and boundaries and borders. Saturn is Kronos is the timekeeper, same exact concept, the, the boundary creator. I think that that aspect of reality is only to our advantage in terms of being able to know ourself and know um, the universe or know, know the void or know the truth or know the source that that aspect of limitation gives us a lens through which we can explore the all just one piece at a time and move through the infinite and create a lattice work of connections in the void so that we're not just drowning in the nothingness of the allness right? Like uh, if that all makes sense, it's kind of heady. Yeah, no, it, may, it makes sense in my interpretation of the studies that I've done of Paul, Paul Check and his work where, he, you know, his concept is the idea that if you're everywhere, everything all at once, there is no experience to be had because you're ex experiencing both everything and nothing at the same time. So it's it, the idea of why would God create this is the idea of like to have experience and to have the, to have me and you with opposing viewpoints, um, experiences, the fact that we can both see out of each other's eyes kind of thing, or we have opposing uh, actual like uh, visions and stuff like that. It creates that duality, which creates the actual experience of being here, as opposed to you're experiencing everything everywhere all at once. There is, there, it's both everything and nothing. It has to be the, this way to have this sort of experience that we're on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's like the root of the why of creation. I fully accept that and I'm open to changing my mind about it. But to me, it like it philosophically logically makes sense just in the idea of, I like the, how did, you know, I do kind of feel like the all came from, well, okay. I won't say that the all came from nothing or the nothing or the void came from the all. I feel like it's part of that self-existing never ending dance, like chicken or egg, which came first. <laughs> Why is Abraxas shown with a chicken head. I feel, find that interesting. The cosmic egg in the the rooster, like the the circle and the one. If you consider the rooster to be kind of like a phallus symbol, and the fact that like what what do they call your male genitalia, and like what what rises with the sun, roosters, and what else? Yeah. <laughs> so that's the I O or the one and the zero or the ten, the all yo ya, uh, and I really like Carl Jung's short writing called seven sermons to the dead where he talks about this pleroma of the all and how like 
when everything is combined with its opposite, um, it all, all the oppositions or polarities sort of cancel each other out, nullify each other, except for power or effectiveness that whenever you combine effectiveness with ineffectiveness, effectiveness cannot affect effectiveness. <laughs> so like power cannot affect the lack of power, right? The, uh, the act in a way like the active, the active cannot be undone by the receptive. So in a, in a way that almost explains the, the Yang having the outward semblance of more power in the world. And he called this thing, this intrinsic power of the pleroma that couldn't be undone by its own opposite. He, he attributes that to the idea of Abraxas, the, uh, the God and devil in one being the, you know, the force that moves things, the uh, original impetus for, um, being to take on expressions beyond just a a perfectly balanced void. I find that very interesting. Uh, I really like the metaphor of that. And to me, it makes logical sense. It is just philosophical thought experiment, but like, to me, like that gives me an understanding of why would there be nothing or why would, why is there something instead of nothing? That old question, like, where did it all come from? Maybe it always has been because the intrinsic to the very concept of void itself is in this paradoxical sense, power. And we see this in the more advanced sciences, like they call it zero point field, zero point energy. That's tapping into the ether. The ether is the void. I mean, literally, it's this in the empty space, ether is present and there's power that can be tapped into in that empty space. And in the same way, we are at our most, we are at our most powerful when we're at a point of internal stillness and balance. You know, when we find the zero point within ourselves, that's when we have the potential to go any direction. Think about a circle. If you get to the zero point, if you get to the, the middle, then you have the multiversal option. But if you're like polarized to one direction, it's harder to get back to the other direction. So uh, philosophically, all these things connect to each other. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, so like makes- mindfulness and getting still mentally and internally is so powerful. Yeah. And it makes sense with, uh, I interviewed Matt Presti from uh, the uh, University of Philosophy and Science. I love Matt. Yeah. He lives in Missouri too. He's not that far from me. Oh, really? Yeah, nice. He uh, And he talks about how the, the new age concept of raising your vibration and going up and all that kind of stuff is the exact opposite of people like Walter Russell's work, right? About it's the zero, it's the stillness that it, the void is all at the same time. And that's effectively, you know, what he tapped into to have those sort of secrets revealed to him. And it's, it's, it's just interesting that again, like when you try to go towards these things, there's so much even within the within the sort of genuine curiosity of going towards higher minded ideas of like the ones that we're trying to talk about here is also the, um, the distraction of, of what it actually is too. Right. You have like, again, the raising your vibration when it should be lower and all these kind of things. Well, like low vibration, high vibration, they're both polar ideas. So, uh, I do think that the stillness is the more powerful point, but there's another way of looking at the whole raising your frequency concept that actually approaches stillness in an odd way. Like if you consider a wave, I I like what Matt says about that, but I can also see maybe where the idea of raising your vibration comes from. Because if you consider a 
low free low frequency waveform it's like this and a high frequency waveform is like woo -doo 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 -doo. i guess i need to explain that for people who are just listening but the low frequency has really tall peaks and low troughs and higher frequencies are a smaller wiggle if that makes sense and uh, what frequency means is how frequently the waveform is hitting the middle line between the peaks and the troughs. So at a very high, high, high frequency, the highest frequency imaginable, it just becomes a straight line. It stays right in the middle and the line is no longer going up and down. So like when in an audio acoustic sense, the highest frequency is synonymous to stillness. Just like if you spin a top fast enough and it's balanced, it will look like it's sitting, standing still. Right. Uh, so that's kind of how I feel about it. To me, ultimately, coherence is the key. Uh, whatever, whatever vibratory rate you're operating at, <laughs> coherence and balance, balance in the form of like, well, if I'm hitting this low point, I need to be aware of the high point. And the way it works in terms of like tuning and tuning forks and sound healing, what makes a frequency effective isn't how high pitched the frequency is uh, or low pitched. It's how balanced it is, how coherent it is, how does the uh, waveform match at the bottom and the top and stay consistently uh, in balance like that. And that actually does the trick in terms of helping the body tune itself. Any, almost any frequency works for that probably as long as it's not um, dissonant and dissonant meaning like, random and uh, non non-coherent like the sound your refrigerator makes in the background of your house all the time <laughs> you know like this with no pat with no pattern pattern pat you know potter father jew potter pata the the craftsman of the universe it all comes from the idea of a, a balanced pattern i guess right yeah and it's, it seems like the the sort of central idea of that is just the consistency of whatever that might be uh, whether it is the, the high peaks and troughs or the low ones is sort of um, whether or not you can be either consistent with it or something like that. I don't know if this is like a way to conceptualize it, but maybe that's the balancing of your heart on the scales, you know, because you could be a shitty person that's hitting some pretty low lows. Uh, <laughs> but if you're doing it, if you know, just be consistent, if you're going to be a douchebag, at least be consistent about it. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I well, I mean, I usually, I usually try to wrap these up in, in, in the idea of, say someone is going through these kind of uh, these things or they're going through peaks and troughs or whatever. Um, in your idea with everything that's happened over the past two years, and I'm sure you've been, you've had your ear to the ground for a lot of these kind of concepts for a long while here. Um, what, what would you say to people who are looking for the, the, either the strength, the courage and the resiliency to, to sort of thrive at these times and not be weighed down by the, uh, the current sort of narrative of what's happening? What would you, what would you offer? Um, hmm. I would just like, Offer the opinion of pattern recognition, uh, consciously choosing your pattern recognition. That's what feels right to get into right now. So uh, if there's things that freak you out in the world that you're afraid of, if there's boogeymen that give you worry and you lose sleep over it at night, realize that your self and this experience is a collection of multiple in a way, you are like a multiverse of yourself. There's multiple intelligences that make up the conglomerate experience that you have of consciousness. There's a lot of influences on you. Your body 
has its own intelligence. Your mind has its own in, in, its own intelligence. Uh, you know, and which one are you? There's even an intelligence of your name. Your name has a being to it. The Egyptians called it the Ren. It was a layer of your energy body. So think about how you've asked your mind to do its job. Mind is like a little kid and it loves games. And its favorite game is pattern recognition. What's the pattern? And whether or not you have realized this, at some point you have told your mind, look for this pattern or look for these patterns. And if you gave whatever your last standing orders were to your mind, <laughs> that's the game it's gonna keep playing. And that what people mistake is that like mind is running away on its own and not in your control. So I would advise that you give your mind new instructions and say, all right, you've done a great job recognizing the pattern of all the scary things in the world or all the limiting factors or all the boogeymen. Now I want a new game where you look for the pattern of when I'm getting freaked out about something, when I'm afraid of something, when I'm feeling defeated or limited by something, whatever the pattern is that you want to uh, break. And so mind will now shift from instead of looking for reasons to feel that way, we're looking for external things to validate the feeling that you're holding onto inside. Instead, mind is going to play the game of telling you when it's happening. Just tell me when I'm doing it. Oh, you're doing it again. Oh, you're doing it again. I think that that is the empowering way forward. Like you'll know what to do from there. Maybe you want to replace the limiting belief with a, a new thought or the very least thing though, that you can do is just recognize the agency that you have over mind and its pattern recognition. And you don't have to stop seeing the dark in the world, but start seeing how it's affecting you and get out away from that into the observer state. And that's a more zero point place to be. Awesome, man. I love it. I couldn't agree more. I, I remember doing those things myself and uh, asking myself, am I thinking my thought right now? Or is it an encode? Is it a, is it a program that I'm running? And uh, I think it's hugely important for a lot of people to, to start thinking that way. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, man. I really want to thank you for your time. And uh, where, can people great. Go to, yeah, where can people go to find you and, and sort of uh, keep up with some of these, these chats that you have? I'm on innerversepodcast.com. That is where people can find links to everything I do. Uh, my YouTube channel is pretty fun. And my rock fin is a good place to go if you hate YouTube, which I understand. I do videos of everything I put out, but you can also subscribe through any of the podcast platforms out there that you might like Spotify, Apple, any of the other other apps that may exist. And also you can get in touch with me for tuning sessions if that's something you might be called to work with me on. And I've got plenty of videos out there that talk more about that process in depth. And I also do one-on-ones with Tarot and I Ching. I'm a big I Ching guy. So if you want to get some guidance from your inner self through the fun game of me putting some cards on the table for you, get in touch. We can do all that remotely. And I'd love to see what happens. It's a lot of fun and very empowering. So Rob, thank you for the chance to talk about these deep thoughts today. It really got me fired up and warmed up and, you know, some directions were new for me and these type of conversations are how we figure out what we really think and feel in my opinion, like until the reflection happens, we can't necessarily even access the deeper levels of what we've learned over the long path of internalizing information and observations. So the opportunity to do this is always really, really appreciated. And 
This was a particularly excellent one. So thank you so much and keep doing what you're doing, man. Thank you, man. I really, really appreciate it, especially from you, man. I've been listening to your stuff for a while now, and uh, I really appreciate what you're doing for, for everyone out there listening. Go check out his stuff. I think it's awesome. Uh, the Marvelous Demystifiers are awesome. Learn about uh, everything that's being encoded in the movies you're watching and everything like that. But Chance, thank you so much again, man. All the links in the description, everyone, will be down there to where to find them, uh, as well as how to support this podcast and some of the adverts that are coming up after this if you want to check it out and support in that kind of way. Uh, but everyone listening, thank you so much. Chance, thank you so much again, man. We'll see you next time. What if you could heal most of your ailments by simply breathing or drinking water? Check out episode 21 earlier this month with George Wiseman to learn about his AquaCure AC50 and the healing power of Brown's gas. His machine rehydrogenates your water molecules, reinvigorating you and replenishing your cells, informing your system that it finally has what it needs to fix any deficiencies in your system. You can inhale the gas through the breathing tubes provided if you sit at the computer during the day, or recharge the water you drink so your body gets more nutrients if you're on the go. In just 10 minutes, we charge our water here every morning for the day. I now drink nothing else but this. In episode 21, George goes over the many, many reviews of people who have cleared up numerous physical ailments after using his machine. And George even details a touching story of someone who overcame the very disease that his late wife succumbed to from using this machine he invented. George even talks about how it can help with radiation and even accounts of chemotherapy, so it can potentially help with something about the number five and the letter G. This is an unknown gem in the field. If you watch alternative doctors like Amanda Vollmer or Tom Cowan, you can see this machine in the background of their conversations. It's a great way to safeguard your health and well-being and feel better every day. They've been backed up and sold out with the amount of people catching on to this amazing technology. So click the link below and save before they're sold out again. By using the discount code DIGWITHIN, you can save 20% off at the checkout, which is a $500 savings. If you haven't yet, check out Blake Ward over at Seed. They make the best and actual stylish hemp clothing around. They're a conscious hemp clothing, actually fashionable, stylish, and unbelievably comfy. Their harem crotch makes it unisex, super comfy, and easy to wear. They're my favorite thing that I found over the last few years and the only pants I wear now. What I do is size them up or down depending on what I want to wear them for. And it's not like typical pants where they're way too tight or way too big because they have an elastic waistband and not a traditional button and zipper. And what I absolutely love about the company is that they are made in Cochrane, Alberta, driven to make a change in the world. No part of the process is done in the third world. They're all sewn here locally and all of their employees make above minimum wage. Head over to theseedstore.ca to grab a pair. They have a 20% discount offer for being a new customer by signing up to their mailing list. And honestly, you're going to love them. So buy as many as you can with that 20% off. And if you want to buy more pairs in the future, you can use my discount code DIGWITHIN to save 15% off on your subsequent orders. If you're like me and sometimes have trouble getting a full night's sleep, it's probably just a magnesium deficiency. I take two capsules of Bioptimizer's Magnesium Breakthrough and it gives me the best night's sleep of my life. Their magnesium supplements is the best on the market because it's the only one that provides all seven forms of magnesium in one capsule. Bioptimizer's is the number one selling natural digestive supplements in the market because they're completely natural and small batch produced to ensure the highest quality of their products. Their Masszyme Supplements is another one of their best sellers. It helps you digest three times more protein that you eat. So it's a must if you're trying to achieve any fitness goals. 
as well as it's just a great one for everyone to have for general digestion of protein. It helps you save big on buying and eating more protein to fill full. Instead of buying more, digest more. They also have HCL for acid reflux, an amazing probiotic with P3OM, a constipation and herbal parasite cleanse if you're having digestive problems, and Gluten Guardian, an amazing supplement to help you digest gluten if you're having trouble avoiding it, but find yourself, you know, you're at a party or you want to let loose every once in a while, you can bypass that bloated food coma with that and you'll feel great on cheat meals or cheat days. Some of the best biohackers and holistic health practitioners rave about bioptimizers, including Paul Check, Ben Greenfield, and many, many more. It's definitely worth checking out and you can save on some bundle deals by using the link below. If you're in Ontario and want access to the best possible food you can get your hands on, head over to wildmeadowsfarm.ca for everything that you need. They've got the best grass-fed, grass-finished food that you can find. I love their nose-to-tail ground beef, which is 80% ground beef and 20% organ meats, because organ meats are the best things you can consume. And it's what our ancestors coveted more than anything else when they were hunting. And this is the best way to reintroduce them into your diet. They have everything from chicken, beef, bison, lamb, elk, duck, pepperettes, broth, bones, fermented food, eggs, and dairy. They even have a discount section on their website as great food is a bit more expensive, so they cater to whatever you need. And also, if you're a bear, head over to the Bearataria Times app to find them in Ontario there, and they offer a discount code only to bears. It's the best food I've found in Ontario, and you won't be disappointed. Hi, I'm Asher Cowan, CEO of Dr. Cowan's Garden. We started our company to make getting vegetable diversity into your diet easy. We make nutritious and delicious vegetable powders made from beyond organic vegetables grown on small family-run farms. Think of them as seasonings or spices that you use to cook with and can easily incorporate vegetable diversity and extra nutrition into the foods you and your children will eat. They're loaded with vitamins, minerals, and phytochemicals that are necessary to keep our bodies healthy and build a robust immune system. As a busy dad and husband, I used to struggle to find time to cook healthy meals for me and my family. What was most challenging was getting enough vegetables in our diet, especially enough variety. Now when I cook for my family, I add small amounts of different powders to just about everything we eat. And I feel good knowing that over the course of the day, we're getting the vegetable diversity and nutrition we need to maintain optimal health. Imagine not having to fight with your kids to get them to eat their veggies. What if you didn't need to spend all evening washing and chopping to prep your meal? only to have your children refuse to eat it. Our products are so versatile, they can be featured in high-end cuisine or hidden in foods your children will eat. Join the thousands of delighted customers and see how our products can make a difference in your life. 